Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 through 46 this morning. Now, the Exxon Valdez oil spill, which happened in 1998, changed the environment in Prince William Sound in Alaska. For those of you who do not know what happened, an oil tanker was en route to Long Beach, California from Alaska when it hit a reef in the Sound. And it spilled more than 38 million gallons of crude oil into the water. Now, the isolated location of the spill made it almost impossible to respond to this crisis in a timely manner. As a young boy, this accident was especially impacting to me. News reports showed the beautiful harbor covered in oil, tens of thousands of seabirds dying in the aftermath, hundreds of bald eagles, sea otters, and seals were also killed. Oil covered the water, it covered the shore, and the animals could do nothing to save themselves. I'm sure that anyone who was alive when this happened still has the image of oil-drenched animals struggling to survive. The effects of the spill did not just impact the wildlife, though. The landscape and the local population was also dramatically affected. Fisheries that had thrived on the salmon and herring in the area were completely destroyed by this accident. The beaches were ruined for anyone who lived in the area. Could you imagine if 38 million gallons of crude oil was spilled all over the Blue Ridge Mountains or into the James River, how it would affect your life? This incident is a helpful image for us to understand how sin affects the world that we live in. You see, through the entrance of sin into the world, everything is covered and infected by brokenness and death. We experience this brokenness in our own sin, through the sins of others and in the environment that does not provide life as it was intended to by God. And yet, the Lord has determined to bring about a change in our environment. He is determined that He will clean up the mess that His people have made and give them deliverance from the effects of their own sin. This is the purpose of God's covenant promises with His people. He will give to them deliverance from the effects of their sin. He'll turn the oil spill of our sin back into a clean and pure landscape. And though we are stained, He will wash us clean. In our passage for this morning, we see that the Lord is literally bringing about climate change. For three and a half years, it has failed to rain, yet the Lord has determined that He will bring rain. For in verse 1 of chapter 18, we have read, after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, I will send rain upon the earth. Yet in our passage, we see that the Lord will bring about this change through the prayers of His people. Though the Lord has determined to bring this salvation, He has determined to do it through a servant. 
And in our own lives, we may feel the effects of the crisis caused by sin. The tension we feel within our families and our relationships. The depression we feel when we are alone with our own thoughts. The rebellion that we have that continues towards a God who loves us. A world that ever causes frustration and disappointment. It's all the brokenness we experience in this life. But the good news is that the Lord has promised to undo this crisis. He is coming to bring climate change. That is the end of the effects of sin. And again, we will see that he has purposed to accomplish this restoration through the prayers of his people. So hear now the word of the Lord. First Kings 18, starting in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we come to you this morning and we do pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word that we might be encouraged towards the truth that You are coming to bring about relief and restoration, to fix that which has been broken, to clean that which has been soiled, to take a heart that is of stone and make it flesh again, that we might have life in Christ, even life everlasting. We pray this in His holy name. Amen. As we've read through 1 Kings 18, you have to admit that Elijah the prophet has a bit of swagger. You don't want to mess with Elijah. He says that something's going to happen, and it happens. He did not hesitate to come up against the 450 prophets of Baal. He did not flinch at the sight of Ahab. He has the prophets of Baal executed and afterward he tells the king, hey, you better head on out and get something to eat because rain is coming. And yet, we see in our passage that even though he is a man that is filled with courage and confidence, he is also filled with humility and is prayerful. Verse 42, we see that Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel 
And it says, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Although the verse does not use the word prayer, we know what Elijah is doing. He is calling out to the Lord to bring rain upon the land of Canaan. For all his swagger, Elijah had no magic. He had no tricks. He was not a superman. In fact, James, in seeking to encourage us in our own prayers, says in the book of James, chapter 5, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah was a man just like you. Do you believe that? Do you believe Elijah was just like you? That he didn't have some special nature, some special human, extra human power that allowed him to call upon God and the rains would stop and then call again to make them happen? You see, the reason we have a hard time believing that Elijah was a man just like we are is because we want to believe that the power to cause rain to stop and to cause rain to come lies within individuals. In what a man does. But such power does not belong to you or to me or to Elijah. The only one who has the power to control the rains is the Lord Himself. And so it is to the Lord that Elijah must go in humility. No swagger before the Lord. No confidence that will cause him to act on our behalf. Elijah put his head between his knees and he begged the Lord to send rain because only the Lord could do it. What change... Are you desiring to see in your own life? What situation is giving you heartburn? Is there a sin that you cannot shake from your life? Is there a sin that somebody has committed against you that you just cannot forgive, that you cannot move forward from? Is there a hostile environment at your home or at work or at school? An environment that is causing you much grief and pain and frustration. How, is the, how are those things going to change? So often, we think that if we come in with our swagger, we can fix everyone's problems. We think that the answer lies within us. And so we use anger We use manipulation, we use gossip to affect change in the environments in which we live. Or we become discouraged when we don't see change in our environment and we just give up believing that there is no way that things can change. Yet the way of the Lord's people is not to come in as a cowboy to save the day or as the enforcer who demands change or the Machiavellian politician who's going to manipulate the situation to change things in your direction. Nor are we to give in to a fatalistic acceptance that says, you know, this is just the way that things are. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. I don't think it's ever going to rain again. Rather, we are to humbly 
go to the Lord in prayer, knowing that it is only He who has the power to truly change our situation, to change the climate of our lives. Now, Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things that are agreeable to His will. The first thing that we learn from our passage is that we are to pray in humility to the Lord, knowing that it is God alone who can change the environment. But the second thing that we learn is that we are to pray to the Lord based upon his promises, upon those things that he has revealed to us in his word. Again, this chapter begins with a promise that the Lord is going to bring about rain. It hasn't rained for three years that the Lord is going to change that. Listen again to verse 1. It says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, I will send rain upon the earth. The Lord has determined to bring rain upon the earth. But why then must Elijah pray to the Lord to send rain? It seems unnecessary, doesn't it? If the Lord is going to bring rain, then he's going to do it. And if he's not going to send rain, then he isn't going to do it. Isn't that what a good Presbyterian like Elijah would believe? God is in control. God is sovereign. God is going to do what God is going to do. So why bother praying about it? Well, of course, that's not what we believe. Rather, we believe that the Lord determines to bring restoration to bring renewal, to bring life. And then he chooses the prayers of his people to be the means that brings it about. Some would say, God waits for us to pray. And then he acts. Others believe that God just acts despite our prayers. He's going to do whatever he's going to do, so it doesn't matter what we do. But what the Word of God is teaching us here in 1 Kings 18 is that God determines to act. He is going to send rain. And then He chooses to use the prayers and obedience of His people to accomplish what He is determined to do. He ordains sovereignly both the ends, in this case rain, and the means, in this case prayer. For God graciously involves us in bringing about His will. We know that the Lord has determined that He would send His Son to save the world. It was promised throughout the Old Testament. And yet we see in the Gospel of Luke that Simeon and Anna were dedicated to praying and fasting for the coming of the Messiah. Why were they praying for something that God had promised He would do? In like manner, the end of the book of Revelation we read, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. The Lord promises that He is coming. The certainty of His coming is demonstrated by the use of the word surely. Jesus says, Surely I am going to come. It's going to happen. It has been determined. I guess we don't need to do anything then. But then the second half of the verse responds, Amen, come Lord Jesus, come. He is coming. It is His will. But it is the response of the people of God to pray for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If we conclude from the certainty of His coming that we need not pray, we have misunderstood the ways of God and of His sovereignty. Think of it this way. He's like someone who owns land and he's determined to build a new home on his land. He could do it himself, but then he decides that he is going to go and hire builders to construct this home. He won't do it alone. Now, the builders surely won't come without his bidding, without his promise that he will pay to see this work come to its completion. But rather, when the owner of the estate determines that he will do it, he hires those whom he desires to execute his plan. And if you are in the family of God, if you have been drawn by his spirit to salvation, by grace through faith in Christ, you have been hired for the work of his kingdom. You have been recruited to call out in prayer for those things which God has determined will come about. The coming of the kingdom of God is assured. And yet we are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to pray, Thy kingdom come. This is how God will overcome the crisis of sin in our lives and in our world. This is how He's going to fix the brokenness that characterizes your relationships and your life. He is going to do it through His powerful promises translated into your faithful prayers. Did you hear that? God brings about change in your life through His powerful promises translated into your faithful prayers. How are the nations going to be one for Christ? How is it that people come to salvation? Well, they will be one First, because the Father elected them for salvation before the foundation of the world. God chose those who would be saved. They're going to be saved because Christ's blood was not spilled in vain. And everyone for whom He died will surely be saved. They will be one because the Holy Spirit will irresistibly draw them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. God has determined whom will be saved by His own power. And yet, the means by which they will come into His kingdom is through the prayers of His people, calling out for the salvation of the lost. Is there a stirring in your heart, Christian, to begin to pray for something? To begin to pray for a change in your life, in your family, in this nation, in this world. Do not run away from it. Do not think that there is no hope. Rather know that the Lord has determined to change this world and He has chosen to do it through the prayers of you, His people. Now, variously through the 20th and 21st century, there have been studies that have been done into whether or not prayer actually works. One recent study was conducted with patients that needed heart surgery. And it was shown by this study that there was no significant difference in the health or recovery of those who were prayed for and those who were not prayed for. Over the last several years, studies have had mixed results, but the overall picture of these studies is that 
Prayer does not provide a significant healing power, at least as much as we can measure scientifically. Now, there are those who would want to debate such findings. They might want to claim that these studies are biased or how could they control them? I mean, how do we know that the people that weren't receiving prayer weren't themselves praying? I mean, who doesn't pray when they have to have heart surgery? Others might just lose their faith at such findings, thinking that they've been deceived about the power of prayer. Thinking, oh, I was told that prayer works, that prayer changes things. And these studies show that prayers don't really do anything. And yet I do not believe that we should be surprised that these studies on prayer do not reveal anything significant about its power. Because you see, prayer is not mechanical. Something that you can just put into a laboratory and study. But it is mysterious. The Lord is not obligated to answer prayer in the manner and the time that we desire. Rather, the Lord will answer prayer as He sees fit. Look down at verses 43 through 44. It says, And Elijah said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again. Seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Why the delay? What is the Lord doing here? If he had determined to bring rain through the prayers of Elijah, why does Elijah have to keep praying over and over and over again? Well, ultimately, the answer is God is God. And he does what he pleases when he pleases. Elijah prayed for fire to come down on Mount Carmel and it descended immediately. Elijah prayed three times for the life of the widow's son to come back into him. Now he must pray seven times for rain to fall upon the earth. And in the next chapter, we will see he prays and he calls out to the Lord and the Lord denies his prayers. Sometimes the Lord answers immediately. Sometimes he delays his response and sometimes he denies our request. And there's no way for us to know why he does what he does and when he does it. He's not a computer program. He's not a scientific theory. His actions cannot be searched out. His thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. Even as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? When we come to the Lord in prayer, we are not coming to an app on our iPhone that will respond to every one of our egocentric desires. He is not our servant. He is not our maid. He is our Lord. He is our God. And He will do as He pleases, when and how He desires. A few weeks ago, I shared how the Lord provided couches for April and I when we were in college ministry. We prayed to the Lord, and within a week we had more couches than we could even handle. And it was encouraging to see the Lord move. 
And yet there were prayers that went unanswered that year. One of our closest friends who are also in college ministry with us is named Deborah. She was actually April's maid of honor in our wedding. In that same year, her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And we brought her in and we anointed her with oil and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And she died. Why? Why, God? Why do you give couches, God, and not health? We would much rather have Deborah's mom healed than a couch for our small group. We could sit on the floor, God, but heal her. Why is one person healed and another left to die? Why did my great-grandfather get healed of cancer, but my toddler-age cousin die of cancer? Did we not pray the same? Did we not desire life just as much? Did we not have the same faith as we called out to you of God? Of course we did. But God is God. He is not a man and His ways are not our ways. And He works in ways that are beyond our ability to quantify or calculate or put into a formula. Prayer is mysterious. And that we do not know how or when the Lord will respond. And so like Elijah, we must continue to call out in humility and in faith according to the Lord's promises, trusting that He will do what is right. For He is God and we are not. For He will lead us beside still waters sometimes. But sometimes He will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. But He remains the Good Shepherd wherever He takes us. And we must trust Him. I'm always a bit amused by the way Elijah's servant reports back the first sign of rain. Look in verse 44. The servant said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. I've always thought there has to be some exegetical thing about a little hand rising from the sea, but I can't figure it out. So Elijah said, Go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. A cloud like a little hand. Now when the first sign of rain comes, Elijah encourages Ahab to start running, or start riding home rather. As you can imagine, the dirt roads and the chariots of old did not mix well on these muddy pathways. And so Elijah says, it's about to rain, you better get home. And then the little hand grows, and the heavens become dark, and the blessing of rain arrives. And not just a small little shower, but the Lord sends a great rain upon the land. It's so wonderful to drink when you're thirsty. When you've worked out hard and you've sweated through your shirt, it's a relief to gulp down a whole bottle of water. Or maybe I'm more acquainted with, you eat way too much pizza and fall asleep. And you wake up in the morning and there's so much sodium in your system, you're like, I'm parched, I need some water. 
It's so refreshing when you're thirsty, when you really need it to gulp it down. And for three and a half years, the land has been thirsty. And now the Lord graciously sends his rain to meet the needs of his people. You see, God sends fire to provide salvation to his people, to deliver them from the grip of Baal, to change their hearts. But he also sends the rain to relieve them and to care for them. We're reminded of Solomon's prayer dedicating the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, just 10 chapters earlier. He prayed to the Lord when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. If they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin, when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. You see, prayer is not just about the supernatural, the things that we can't explain. It's also about the natural as well. It's a small God who is only in charge of those things that we can't explain. But our God is the God in control of all the earth. And when we realize that things as natural as rain come from the hand of our God, then wonder is given back to us His people. You see, naturalism steals our wonder at a world filled with miracles. Thinking that an equation can describe an event and explains that every event is only according to a mechanistic formula. It's foolish. We might know how weather is formed, and yet we do not know why the Lord chooses to make rainfall when and where He will. A world without God. A world that sees things only according to material makes us so cynical and so ungrateful. Nothing is wonderful in a world where everything can be explained by equations only. Yet when we pray, we begin to see that everything from rain and wind and daily bread and grass and flowers and children are from the Lord. Cool glasses of water are brought to us by God. Sunsets and storms, restful Sundays and adventurous Fridays, everything that we experience in this world is a gift that comes from the Lord. And prayer makes us keenly aware of the Lord's grace to provide these things for us. And therefore makes us thankful for all of His gifts. It changes the environment around us from a dead mechanistic world to one that is alive with beauty and goodness and hope. Climate change. It is what the Lord is doing to change our sin and to clean it up. It's been 33 years since the Valdez oil spill. And Prince William Sound is still feeling the effects of this crisis. There are casualties of this environmental disaster that often go unreported. And that is the health effects of those who volunteered to clean it up. 
they waded into a toxic soup of oil, methane, benzene, hydrogen sulfide, and other toxic gases and very poisonous chemicals. The life expectancy of those who are part of the cleanup crew is 51 years old. And most of them have already died. To heal the land, they had to go down into the mass and even sacrifice their lives. And for the Lord to come and to change this climate, the climate of sin, to clean up the environmental disaster of our rebellion against God, the Lord Jesus Christ had to come down into the toxic soup of our world. He came that we might be washed clean. He came that we who were stuck and could do nothing to free ourselves, He came to free us from the effects of our sin. To bring the water of life to a world that was thirsting for relief. He came and He took on the sin of His people. And by His blood, we are made clean. The technical word for this work is expiation. And it means to take out, to draw out the stain, to remove the guilt. Not just to cover the guilt over, but like a sponge to expiate it, to take it out so that we are no longer stained with our sin, but we have been cleansed. And we all need this work of cleansing. We need the climate change of the Lord's grace that brings rain to the desert of our lives. And so come to Him and know that He will bring relief to your soul. And yet we cannot stop just with ourselves. For this world is filled with the effects of sin. And so as those who have been cleansed, we are called to go to the Lord and in prayer humbly ask Him to do what He has promised to do in His Son, Jesus Christ, that is to make all things new. God will move. He will act to bring about His promises. The climate will change one day and sin and rebellion will be removed. Death will be defeated and life and life everlasting will come. He has promised the rains to bring relief. So let us faithfully call out to Him in prayer to come and to do such a work. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, Lord, I come to You and we come to You as a people. Lord, who in our lives are experiencing the effects of sin, we want our environment to change. For we feel the stress, we feel the burden, we feel the hardship. And we want peace. We want life. We want rest. And so we call out to You in prayer. We abandon our futile attempts to change our environment according to our power, our anger, our wisdom, our manipulation. And we abandon ourselves to You. 
And we call out to you, O God. Cleanse us. And cleanse our world. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.